new paradigm shift is like you can't be like well i'm a journalist and i'm just here to watch you die you know and get killed it's like do something to prevent them getting killed don't just be a, a person who just stands there and gets a photo pass and gets to take their three photos that they give you know of the president and then moves on and, and only documents certain things and then be happy with your image right uh, and i think that for me that's, that's where i'm at it's like this project that is that is developing and it is continually going it's not just to make pretty images it's something that I really, really hope that can inspire other people, inspire other photographers, inspire other, especially indigenous photographers, to, to take action, you know, and to really create work that, that goes beyond the frame. Coming up on the Janice Adams Show, Josue Rivas on photography, life, standing rock, and standing strong. Hi, I'm Janice Adams. Welcome to the show. For nearly a year, as U.S. government-backed Dakota Access Pipeline proponents wreak havoc on indigenous peoples, their land, sensibilities, and on nature herself, First Nations documentary photographer, cinematographer, film director, Magnum Foundation photography and social justice fellow, Josue Rivas, was on the scene as witness and participant demonstrator and water protector. The experience endangered his life. It also marked what he calls his year of awakening. He since received the Photo Evidence Book Award with World Press Photo for Standing Strong, his stunning and haunting photographic book on the events at Standing Rock. I was first introduced to Hosaway's work by his TED Talk, Standing Rock, The Power of Telling Our Own Story. I was particularly taken by the way he began his presentation with a bottle of water. Here's Hosaway Rivas. I had put out there that I wanted to do a TED Talk about Standing Rock. So up until even the day that I had to like um, record the TED Talk, everything just seemed like everything was falling in place. So that, that day... Um, you know, I needed to, like, kind of have some grounding, I guess you can say, or, or just really have something to hold me. So so I had my feathers, um, you know, one of my elders had given me in ceremony, and then I had um, I had that bottle of water. And, and I just felt like I needed to bring it onto the stage because um, that was the whole reason of why we were out there in Standing Rock. And a lot of people are still fighting a lot of these different things is because we disconnect ourselves from like these elements, from the water, from our relatives that are, you know, four legs, you know, and our relatives that are living in the air and, and all these different things. So for me, it was kind of bringing them on stage. Yeah, like bringing the person that we were fighting for, because for, to me, it's kind of like a person. So that's why I did that, I guess. And no one's ever asked me that, so that's a good question. For the audience, bring us up to date on what Standing Rock was and what is happening there now. Standing Rock, it was a complex situation, and it was a, it's a complex story, really, and it's a complex uh, place. So for me, Standing Rock was an awakening in a lot of different levels, you know, in indigenous leadership level, also in a level of us being more connected to our indigenous roots as peoples, because we all come from indigenous roots, and also to connecting to humanity, you know, to connect, connecting beyond just, like, color, you know, or, or religion, or... Um, or belief. And then I think for me, that's really what it was. It was an awakening for, for all of us. But then there was also a very real thing happening, right, which was uh, taking direct action towards this pipeline. And for me, that was um, that was a distraction, really. You know, it, it was distracting us from, from understanding that those circles, those fires, those things that were open specifically on the camp, the ancient ways, they, they were for everybody. You know, it was an invitation for those people, like, you know, that were running the Dakota Access Pipeline and say, hey, come and sit with us and be with us. There was so much more to it than what we could see. You know, there was so much more to it than what we could see on, 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 the, on the news. And then also, even if you went there, you know, there was just layers. You know, it's like a vortex. Now, looking, back, looking at it in retrospect, there was an opportunity for us to, to wake up. And I think a lot of people did. You know, a lot of what was happening on Standing Rock, and what we saw, that's what was happening inside of us as well, as okay. individuals. Let's talk about that when you say inside of us. Standing Rock was this big political thing, mm. you know, in terms of the national headlines. There was a 
a pipeline that was going to be put across or near to indigenous lands without care for the impact on the people who would be in its way or what would happen to the water that Mm -hmm. was nearby. But as an individual, why did you care? For me, it was, there was a lot of preparation going on before that even happened, before you know, folks went to North Dakota. There was like at least a few years of understanding protocol, specifically for you know, Lakota peoples and, and the different seven council fires, which they have their own way, they have their own ceremonies. And, and, and so I was really immersed in that. Excuse me, Josue, the Lakota being the people whose lands it was crossing? Uh, yes, so the, the Standing Rock tribe, they're part of the, the Lakota Nation. So for like three years, I was already learning about those ways and, and really learning how to, yeah, how to show up to places, right? So like how to show up to a sweat lodge, for example. Like you don't just show up and, you know, just, you really like trust and just kind of try to like let go of your own ego, you know? And I think that that was like, you know, that's one specific thing about just how, the time slows down a lot, you know, and, and also you have to be, you have to make sure you ask permission for things. I think that that's another thing that really helped me before going to Standing Rock and, you know, in the development of, of me getting there is it was as simple as asking people's permission to take their photographs or to make an image with them. I don't like to use the word take. It really bothers me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I use the word making because I want to make things with people. I don't want to be a taker, you know, like I don't want to be taken from them. Um, so a lot of these things that were previous to Standing Rock, such as, you know, just being part of the community and just really understanding the community um, and and being part of their ceremonies, which is extremely important, right? So, like, you show up and you really make an effort to learn. And, and I'm an indigenous person myself, so, you know, it's not like, I, you know, it's like not all Native people are the same, right? So, like, I didn't grow up with these ways, you know, I didn't grow up with these ceremonies. So it was extremely important for me to learn them and so then when I get to Standing Rock, all those things, they were just tools. They were tools that I was able to to be like, okay, this makes sense. You know, there's, there's, there's women, you know, women are praying by the water. As much as my, you know, photographer mind wants to document that, I also understand, you know, when people are praying, it's an extremely intimate place. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an extremely intimate. Um, you don't have permission to enter. You don't have consent to enter that place and you force yourself through it, like a lot of photojournalists do, then, then you know, there's no spirit in the image. It's a taken image. You have taken a photograph. And, and for me, I understood, like, okay, well, if I really, really, really desire to, to want to photograph there, even though they already told me not to, uh, I'd rather not to, you know? I'd rather just be respectful, and I'd rather mm. just be mindful of their space and their sovereignty as people praying by the water. So I think that you know, little instances like that were, were just very easy to to understand, you know. And and for other photographers, you know, which I, I witnessed, you know, there were over 300 photographers that at some point just freelancing, you know. And then I noticed how it became a circus, man. It was like it was like everybody was just up to get a person on a horse or go take a photo of a teepee or make sure that there was like some form of feathers in the image, and, you know, like that's standing rock, you know, that's indigenous. And it's like, there's so much more to being indigenous than just showing up and taking some photos of like this imagery, you know, all these symbols. Yes. So essentially, they wanted the iconography that everyone identifies as indigenous. But because you are indigenous, what were you able to capture that nobody else was? Even until yesterday, you know, like just looking at the work and and even like I'm like, wow, I was there and I made this image. Like I this is me. This is me taking or making this photograph. And for me, I think that that the spirit of, of what happened there really comes through the imagery. And it's not because it's my image, so it's not so much because of me. But it was because I think that there were times where like I really had to sit down and pray for help. You know, there was nights like the nights of the water cannons where where I literally had to, you know, I'm not a photojournalist there anymore. You know what I'm saying? I'm I'm a person. I'm a human being witnessing, again, this predatory energy that roams the earth. These people just getting hurt and just like 
their eyes are blown out, and you know this girl with the arm that her arm blown out. Like just witnessing all these things really makes you want to like ground yourself and really ask for help. And for me, that's what I would do. It was pray about it. It was really like trying to understand that there was a bigger purpose to it than just making photographs. That these images could heal people in the future. Could heal people now. When you show up to somewhere that is not your territory. You show up with respect and you show up with something. You always show up with, with an offering. And you also don't take from them. You know, you don't go to a Pine Ridge and think, okay, great, I'm going to make a photo series of a Pine Ridge and I'm going to win a Pulitzer Prize. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's people that literally think like that. And, mm-hmm. and, and for me, it was, you know, that spirit that came through the imagery, it came because of all these different layers that I had to prepare myself with uh, directly and indirectly. And then... And then that really made the difference. That really made those images stand out, I think. Beyond just aesthetic, you know, beyond just like, oh, they're, they're lovely images. Like, no, they're images that, that we're going to look back and hopefully remember that spirit that was there that was saying, we can do this. We can have a new paradigm. We can challenge these powers that are completely just taken from the earth, that dependency on fossil fuels. You know, so much more. I can even, I can go for an hour about it. I didn't just show up, you know, kind of had a great time. It was, you know, it was rough, you know, especially like after the the water cannons. You know, my spirit was broken. I was mm. no longer, it was cold. I've never been exposed to the cold weather like that. And it was also, again, this, this energy was roaming the camp just constantly. The military was involved. And again, it's just like the same story, you know, these powers and their little soldiers, and then they come in, you know, make some conflict and and that's the focus of the whole story and and for me it was it was an internal um process happening where you know i was giving up i was like wow i I can't you know this is too much for me and but then i I decided to stay i think indigenous photographers now are coming forward and and we have a whole database of indigenous photographers that's called this photograph that i co-founded with another photographer and we're challenging the stereotypes, challenging the narratives. For me, that's really what, why that work is different. It's because that work from Standing Rock, it's not only going to open doors for me, but I really hope that it opens doors for indigenous storytellers, but then it opens doors for, for the youth to start learning and start really like reclaiming their stories. You know, it's no longer going to be okay to to teach kids hopefully history that is wrong, you know, and that is not true, you know, that is being told from the Western point of view. When we come back here on the Janice Adams Show, more with our guest, Josue Rivas, First Nation documentary photographer, cinematographer, and film director. His book of photographs chronicling the events at Standing Rock is Standing Strong. More with Josue Rivas after the break. We're back with our guest, Josue Rivas. He has a new book that chronicles the events of 2016 at Standing Rock. Winner of this year's Photo Evidence Book Award with World Press Photo, the book is called Standing Strong. In one explosion of power versus the rights of marginalized people to place, the modern-day Native American experience was brought into sharp focus. It was a crisis that, for reasons of proximity, put the Sioux at the epicenter, with treaties being violated once and forever again, with the sanctity and safety of tribal lands at stake, to protect their rights, yours and mine, to clean water, with the oil industry and global development interests backed by local police suppressing people's rights to defend their safety, Sioux demonstrators were joined by people of indigenous nations throughout the Americas, North and South. Soon, people of every hue of divergent backgrounds came to their defense, united by the principle of the thing, deliberately mischaracterized as terrorists by powerful pipeline proponents, demonstrators were stripped of their rights of assembly and protest. Police even forced more than 100 people to physically strip and squat naked in an act of psychological warfare, not unlike the early days of conquest and enslavement. 
in a singularly powerful act. A contingent of veterans a thousand strong assembled in solidarity and apology for the historic role of the U.S. military and police in seizing Native American lands. Since then, others have joined in. The fight of the water protectors goes on. Standing Rock means standing strong. Wow, that's that's uh, that's really beautiful. That's that's really powerful too. So you wrote that, huh? Yes, inspired by your images. Wow, and what they evoke. So I'd like to talk about these images for our audience. I'll be sharing a link to your website, and they'll get to see some of the photos that you have on your site. They'll get to learn about the book that you have. But let's talk about these extraordinary images that perhaps if we had had such images 200 years ago, we would have a better command of what has really taken place since the 1500s on this continent against the people who called it home for thousands of years. So I'm looking at the cover of the book. The cover of the book looks deceptively muted. What is it? That image is uh, sweetgrass. It's a medicine, you know, and, and for me, it was definitely one of those things that kept me grounded when I was a standing rock to just burn a little sweet grass and, you know, to to ground. I mean, that that's as basic as that. So for me, it's it's, it's a reminder um, that, you know, that as we enter this, this book and as we enter this story, there's there's reverence to it. You know, there's, um, you know, you, you stop and, and, and touch the book and you can feel the sweet grass because it's engraved in the into the book, so um, you know it, it's not just an image because that, that's what it feels like to me. You know, standing rock or standing strong really um, is not about just imagery, but it's about feeling. You know, it's about developing your senses and going, you know, to three dimensions and then going to other dimensions that we can possibly go to. Um, but really incorporating, uh, you know, uh, something that is, you know, you go back and forth with. So that image of the sweet grass. Is, is why I, I chose that and why I chose it to be in the book in that way because I wanted people to touch it. The sweet grass, you said it's a medicine. What is it used for? Um, sweet grass, from, from what I understand, it's, um, it's basically you, you burn it like you will burn sage. Or you will burn a little bit of a, um, cedar. Um, so sweet grass is, is mostly from, you know, from the ceremonies that I've been in and just ways that I've I've been received, you know, they often give you a sweetgrass braid and then they just give it to you. And, you know, they, it's like a, yeah, it's like an offering in a certain, in a certain way too. Yes. Yes. There is an image that really just struck me of a woman coming up a hill. Her back is to, well, the force of the wind of the snow is she, she's, really like a driving force against this snow that's coming at her and in her in the background is the village the camp that was set up tell us about that image and how you um, caught it yeah yeah definitely well this was after this was after the you know the water cannons happened you know where folks were sprayed and and, and done done in that wrong way you know so um i I remember this blizzard. This was, I never, first of all, I never thought I was going to get through it because it was extremely cold and it was extremely windy. And, you know, it was, again, that darker, yeah, darkest, you know, there's no sun in there. There's nothing, so it's a darker feeling to it. So I, I had to get out of, of the, the tent that I was sleeping in and, and walk around a little bit because I was I started to feel really depressed, you know. And um I got up and, and just had my camera kind of cover on, on my right side by my hip, you know, I was covering it with, with my, uh, like my jacket that I had. And then as I was walking down, cause I was on top of a hill, that's where the tent was. I was walking down and, and I saw this person walking towards me that kind of, I couldn't really see who he was or what even, you know, yeah, who he was. So I just grabbed my camera from my hip and I just, I made like three shots. You know, I, I, I didn't even look at it. I didn't even compose it or anything. And, 
And then I, you know, went did my thing throughout the day and, and came back and looked at the images. And, and this was like a really dark image. So, like, it was literally underexposed by, like, three, ex- three exposures. So um, I didn't want to give it up, you know. So I, I, I put it on my, on my favorites. And then when I started editing, I brought in the light, which is kind of, like, symbolic, you know, in a certain way. It's like bringing this light into the, into the darkness of this image. And then this popped, you know. <laughs> I was like, whoa, this is... Like, I really, yeah, I, and I didn't know who this person was, was the most interesting part of it, that until later on, I, I, you know, I kind of trying to find out who this person is, but, um, yeah, to me, it just saw, like, it was this, this this feminine energy of, yeah, of, of not even darkness necessarily in a bad way, but there was definitely, like, it's like shadows going around the camp, you know? And so that's kind of what it felt like to me. And who did she turn out to be? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> Well, uh, we'll, we'll we'll find out at some point, I guess. She stands for a lot of women. That's clear. There is also, yeah. you mentioned the water cannon. There is this painful image of people standing in the water and and so-called law enforcement really committing this terrible violence hosing people down and the water just coming at them and still they're standing there. What was the story behind that image? Yeah, well, that, that image is, you know, the night of November 20th, in, in a lot of people saw it from different perspectives, like I said, because, you know, there were a lot of different live streams and a lot of different, you know, media outlets putting things out, right, and, and all these different things. But for me, you know, I, I was down there, um, like before it even started, you know, and just really um, got to see the development of it, and just got to really see like, wow, this is this is turning much much worse than it should be, you know, um, because of the excessive force really that that, that happened from law enforcement. Um, there was just no need for for people to be to be treated like that and to be yeah, it's just it's just it's inhumane to to say the least, you know. So this image, um, I was down there, and, and my my camera actually got water damaged that night. So so a lot of these images that I got from that night were things that I was able to recover uh, after sending the, the car to a recovery place because the, the we had water damage for the whole night, you know, because so, I got sprayed as well. Um, and then I lost my camera, so my camera broke. My camera was damaged, so I was left with no, with no camera at that point. Um, and I had to, you know, make a call for for help, and people came through, and um, you know, other artists really. Actually, interestingly enough, other artists came through and said, "Hey, like, here's some money. Like, let's buy your camera, you know." And they, mm-hmm. you need to keep documenting this. Um, so yeah, anyways, so you know, that night was was just intense, and even thinking about it. And when you get to watch this video by by Naco in Medicine for the People, the Love Letters to God video, you, you'll see what I mean, because there's parts of footage from that night. Um, it was that night, you know, in that image, it's almost like a, how can I say this, like, it's like repeating history all over again, you know, and how we have treated, you know, those that, they're already on their knees because of us, because of our treatment, and then we, like, just keep hitting them, you know? It's like the civil rights movement all the way down to, you know, the first contact with you know with Europeans, you know what I'm saying. So it was just like a repetition of that. He's saying it is. Here it's we are a continuance. You know? It's a continuation. Totally. And and you know the, there was a level of me where I I lost hope on you know humanity. I I yeah literally I started getting really depressed after that because there were people you know there were law law enforcement officers or whatever they call themselves like. Like literally laughing, mm-hmm. you know, and like, 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 play, like, like it was just the craziest thing. It was like they were playing the game, and you know, they were shooting people with rubber bullets, like if they were like animals, you know. And um, you know, when you think about that, and then you look at diametry, for example, and and you and you, we don't do anything about it. Does that make any sense? Like I'm like, there's evidence right here in front of your face that this is, this is not okay. And then we continue to to stand and just do nothing. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, for me, like, these images are hard to look at because it's a constant reminder of that. And it's like, no, it's a, it's a reminder of a darker time for me. Um, and 
yeah, it's just, it's just, I don't know. I don't know what to say about that, to be honest. It's, it's, it's like uh, I can go for hours talking about all these different things, but, but it just comes down to, you know, let's not let this happen again, right? Like, this is why I have these images, because when, you know, in things happen again to indigenous people, they're going to say, hey, these are the images, you know, that we, we did this already. Like, we saw that it, it didn't, it's not good for anybody, so let's, let's stop doing it. You know, or even, even preventing, you know, that the, the power of imagery, and especially now in the digital, digital age, of being able to prevent things, you know, like, if we're going to, you know, do stuff like this again, just showing people, look at this imagery, this is what we did to the indigenous peoples out there. Do we really want to do it to those people in Syria the same way? Or do we want to do that to, you know, other people in other countries that we know we keep invading and we keep, like, hurting, you know what I'm saying? And because it's the same thing, these military ways are military ways that, we, that the United States uses around the world. And and they continue to use them. Uh, it's this, this force that, that they think is power, but it's not power, you know? So I don't know if you're familiar with John Trudell, but John Trudell got me through through my whole stunning rock experience um, by listening to his poetry. And he talks about power as, you know, this, this forces think that they're power and they think that they're powerful, but they're not powerful, you know, that is not real power. Because real power is our earth and is the force of the earth. And all these different things that are that are much more powerful than us as human beings, you know, like our mm-hmm. economy and our polit- politics and our unsustainable ways of life are not powerful. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think I'll end it with that. <laughs> the image is so extraordinary. I'm happy, not happy, but I, I'm so glad that you're able you know, to speak to it for us, because this issue that you raised of power and what it means, I think for anybody who wants to believe that the reason that so-called law enforcement was there was for justice and for right and all of that needs to look at this picture and see that the expression on the faces, the body language of the people who are perpetrating this has nothing to do with justice. They are sadistic. That is what Mm. is on their faces. The body attitude, the joy that they are taking in humiliating other people. I don't think that when people talk about, you know, we have to do this because it protects... No, this is not the look that should be on somebody's face. This is not the attitude that should take over someone's body if that were so. When we come back here on the Janice Adams Show, more with our guest, Josue Rivas, First Nation documentary photographer, cinematographer, and film director. His book of photographs chronicling the events at Standing Rock is Standing Strong. More with Josue Rivas after the break. We're back with our guest, Josue Rivas. He has a new book that chronicles the events of 2016 at Standing Rock. Winner of this year's Photo Evidence Book Award with World Press Photo, the book is called Standing Strong. Josue, before the break, we were talking about some of the photos, these extraordinary photos, the story really that you have preserved for us, lest we forget. Um, in this book, Standing Strong. And I'm looking at a particular image with a hand holding a bottle. The, the hand is holding a large, oversized water bottle, and in it you see these reflections. How this is being reflected back to us is what kept coming to my mind. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that image. Yeah, definitely. Um, that image is actually from September 2017. It's at a healing gathering um, back at Standing Rock um, months after the, you know, the whole camp was evicted. Obviously, as we know, there's a lot of trauma within us as human beings, but specifically with indigenous peoples and people that were at Standing Rock. There's, you know, there's this, this deep, deep uh, pain that they know that is very, very real, you know, and um, people needed a place to come back to. So, so you know, around like 150 folks gathered uh, at Standing Rock again and, and came back and had a whole ceremony and had like 
uh, you know, days of training and just days of information as well to, you know, better understand what's, what was happening at that time with the pipeline. Um, so when I was walking around and, and just, again, you know, trying to make sense of what was happening and why, why this was important and, and also do it in a good way, you know, and like um, there was this person that was just showing the water and, and for me, it was like, like a door, like a portal to another place. Knowing that going back to, to Standing Rock and then also going back to seeing people that I saw at Standing Rock, you know, that I was familiar with and I was also like very close to. And, and also I had processed some of the imagery. I also wanted people to know that, you know, again, Standing Rock was much more than just an opposition to a pipeline. Um, and, and that image at least for me is, is a reminder. If I want to go back to that realm and into that, that uh, reflection of of what standing rock was, then that that was the door for it. You know that that kind of weird looking, you know, inside the, inside the glass kind of kind of image that you saw. Because um, mm-hmm. because it is, you know, it's like if you want to go back in there, you can. And and here it is. Uh, so that's kind of what it was for me, I guess. Yeah, you know, before the break, we were talking about that extraordinary image of the police raining water down. Uh, hosing down very violently the protesters. Um, And it struck me, especially now as you speak about the hand holding this oversized water bottle and the symbolism or the reality of the water, that what so disturbed me as well in that photo is that they had taken nature, water, the Mm -hmm. substance of life, and violated that in order to try to exact their power over other people. So it showed how fallacious their intent was because they abused nature in order to do it. Mm-hmm. So the, the night of November 20th, it was uh, it's actually not dark yet. Um, it was people were just gathering at the camp once again, you know, just kind of, going through and really processing a lot of these actions that were happening. And um, I started going towards the bridge where, you know, that connected a camp with, with uh, Bismarck, North Dakota, that was blocked. And I uh, started just seeing people gathering, you know, just moving moving things around. And, um, you know, they wanted to, to go back and, and open the bridge and, and move these cars that were there. So um, as more and more people started showing up, you know, the, there was a lot more... Um, a lot more law enforcement showing up. And at some point, as, as the darkness started coming in, there was, you know, over like 200 people at the, at the bridge and and um, over probably 300 law enforcement. It was just insane how many law enforcement there were there. And they were just ready to go. So they, you know, they, you know, and I'll say this publicly, you know, law enforcement really, I think, really started a lot of, a lot of the, those fires that were happening. Um, and, yeah. Anyways, uh, it was just insane because you can totally see them just um, going around and you know creating their tactics of of being able to have an excuse to like hurt people. I think um, so. They started just like spraying people, you know, with 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 water because there was like some fires going in, and then eventually, you know, it just got too much, man. Like it just got to the point where you know, like I, I told you, my my camera got water damage. I was up there. I was like like. Maybe it's like a couple more photojournalists up there, uh, but there, not a lot of people wanted to get up there in like in the very very front because it was really dangerous. You know, these, these water cannons were extremely powerful and and they they had a lot of pressure and people were getting really hurt. So um, I'll never forget this. I have this I have this this recording that you know I was shooting for for Sundance for a movie as for Sundance and and um, and I have this. Um, I had a recording of this guy getting shot in the head with a rubber bullet. And he was on the ground, and I was, like, right there behind. I was, like, behind, like, a little tree uh, part that was there. And I was just, like, I was still rolling. And then somebody picked them up, so I ran after them and, and just kept rolling. I kept recording. And then they took them through, like, all the tear gas and everything and through, like, this bridge, you know, with, like, with hundreds of people. So they kind of took them through there, and I was rolling the whole time. And then they... Got him to a to a to a vehicle to take him back to the camp. So I, I kept rolling. I, I was just rolling the whole time. And when we got to the camp. There was an ambulance there waiting for for them to 
to take care of them. And, and you know, I was still rolling, and, and they put him in into the ambulance. They put him into the back of the ambulance, and and, he, and I was rolling still. And, and this guy looked straight at the camera, and, and I zoomed in into the camera, into his face, and he um, he just looked at me. You know, he's he's just bleeding from his from that side of his head and just crazy imagery. And and then he raised his hand and he said, "Water is life." And that was like one of those moments where, you know, I realized that that, that we were at war, you know, mm-hmm. and that we've been at war for a long time, and that we're you know we're gonna still be in war if we don't change our ways or seeing each other, you know, and and. And again, it's that predatory energy, and you know that predatory energy—not just energy, but it's really a system, you know, that 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 takes away from us in a daily basis, you know, and and this illusion that we have of what it is to be human being. And I know I'm learning these things myself now. You know, it's going through a lot of process, you know, of you know working with people that are trying their best to tap into and break through this illusion of what, you know, what we've been told, you know, and I think that a lot of that was standing rock. It was the illusion that, you know, that, that law enforcement had that we were the enemy. Talking about that and the water brings us back to where we began this interview with your TED Talk, where you walk on stage and have a bottle of water. And in that TED Talk, you talk about the symbolism of the water. Can you share some of that with us? Just really understanding what water really means, at least in my personal experience as a human being, um, but then also something that is very much shared with everybody else in this realm. You know, it's the water is life. I mean, I I know it sounded like a super catchy and um, trendy thing. Great, right? That we were trending on something so powerful. Um, and a message of powerful but for me, you know, and just from my own experiences and the, the things that I've done with ceremony, it's that water. It's, it's much more powerful than we even understand, you know, or that we, or that not even that we even understand that what we, what we're taught to understand. We're taught to understand that you know, water is something you drink, and it's supposed to keep you hydrated, right? And there's so much more to it than just that, you know. There's this spirit that that is within the water, you know, that that within everything else that we are just not tapped into because we're disconnected. And for me, the you know, putting that in the TED Talk and just really acknowledging the water, um, and, you know, when you talk about, like, you know, fighting, for, for example, like, this is one thing that I'm learning is when people say, like, we're fighting, you know, I'm going to give people a voice, right, through my photographs or something like that, or I'm going to, you know, speak for the voiceless or, like, you know, speak for the marginalized. Um, I often laugh about that because I think – you know that, like, people have voices already, right? Like, there's people, you know, these folks are not just, like, you know, poor little creatures, that they have a voice, and our job is to empower those people and to uplift them so that their voice is louder or their voice is heard. And I think that that's something about the water, you know? How how can we, uh, specifically as, as males, as, as, you know, as fire energy, as, you know, that masculine, how can we uplift the feminine and how can we uplift that, you know, what we talk about, you know, our earth, you know, as our mother. And and the water is very much part of that. And, and you know, I think that, again, this is my personal experience, but I think, you know, I'm not really the right person to talk about the, the full, um, yeah, the full extent of what water is, because, you know, I'm not fully connected to it like a woman is, you know. Like, I think that, you know, from what I learned at Standing Rock, and this is something that was, really sh- not shocking but it was it was definitely like a turning point for me and how i thought about the whole story was that you know when they were talking about being a protester or a water protector right so like the media was using the word protester and then folks in the camp they, they call themselves water protectors and, you know and people were thinking maybe it's like really good marketing for the water protectors or whatever but in reality what happens is that um this this auntie she she told me about you know how women carry carry water and they're still connected to water you know since the time they're born, because they're going to carry life through that water in their womb. And, and if you don't, you know, protect that, then, then you're, you know, you're not going to be able to have, you know, that energy and that, uh, yeah, that, that, how can I say, that power that comes with, with already being a life giver. Uh, 
and and put a, you know put a human in there and grow and bring it to the world. You know, so like it was just this mind blowing explanation where I even you know there were some times where I had to like correct like people that wanted to work with me like in the media you know they were like hey can you go do this thing for us and then i would tell them hey make sure you call them water protectors and i had to explain why and you know even though they still didn't do it sometimes like like there was an explanation for that mm-hmm. and that's what a lot of things happening in in indian country or native communities or indigenous communities is that a lot of those things have explanations to it but we just don't listen you know since standing rock what are some of the projects you're working on now? So Standing Strong is, is actually a larger project. Uh, honestly, it was born out of my own personal journey. <laughs> so it's, it's a four-chapter project um, that is going to... The goal of the whole project is to reveal a new vision of Native America. And what that means to me is that the four-year cycles or the four-chapter cycles, so, you know, the four directions, for example, you know, or... Um, just the four is extremely important in indigenous ways, you know, in human ways, really. But um, so for me, there's a ceremony that that I'm personally um, gonna be part of. Hopefully, in this year, I start my first year of it and my first cycle. You know, four years of going through the ceremony, um, where where I will get a vision, right, or, or so-called vision, or um, yes, this is it's it's a, it's a ceremony that is very much about introspect and really you know, committing and entering the red road, the indigenous ways, you know, um, of, of being a person of ceremony. Um, so for me, this project is, is very much like that. It's, it's a four-chapter project um, where I'm seeking a vision. I'm seeking this vision, a new way to see us, a new way to see ourselves, you know. It's actually, it's not made for, for other people. It's made for indigenous peoples because it's going to be a tool um, you know, through imagery, we'll be able to reclaim, to challenge, to um, take our power back. And that first chapter was was uh, awakening, which is the the word from standing rock. And what I'm going to be working on this year, which um, I'm learning how to get funding, and I'm learning how to apply for like fellowships and all these different things, uh, so that I can get you know this chapter two done, which is going to be uh, about identity and. One of the first, one of the first things that I'm going to do with this uh, next chapter is uh, is create a portrait series uh, that is going to be quite different than than other people have done. You know, we have seen those images from from Edward S. Curtis from you know this like you know kind of like romanticized native person, right? And 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 we have seen how that has shaped us as indigenous peoples and how you, you Google Native American, that's the first image you probably see. One of these guys, you know, who who photograph in a in a different way than, than I'm trying to do. So for me, what I'm trying to do is I'm gonna give the person that I'm collaborating with. You know, I don't want to call them subjects either because they're not subjected to anything. Um, and the people are gonna start seeing indigenous peoples, you know, and they they might they might not, you know they might have sh- short hair or they might look white to you, but they're actually half native, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just so complex, you know what I'm saying? And, and I think that's the work that needs to get done for this next chapter is to reshape identity, we need to take over the streets. Mm-hmm. We need to take over the cell phones, you know? Be creative in the way that we tell our stories. So, so yeah, that's the next chapter, and that's what I want to be working on this year is it's a, it's a portrait series with um, indigenous people all over, all over the country, um, and, and, and then another, just to put it like the cherry on top, you know, there's, there's also a thing that I'm challenging a lot with my imagery and I'm going to go into, I'm going to challenge it through different series, but definitely sustaining strong is, it's understanding that indigenous peoples, or when we think of Native Americans, it's not just only the people that look, you know, like the people from the plains, you know, there's indigenous peoples at the border right now trying to cross this freaking line that, that we made. You know, there's indigenous peoples that are being attacked in the Amazon right now. You know, there's indigenous peoples that are like, you know, in Mexico, just growing the corn like the way that their ancestors did. So I'm also going to, like, I'm also going to challenge that, that idea that we have of what a Native American is to the work. And, you know, that's much more personal, you know, to me too, because for me, you know, my peoples come from what we call Mexico, you know, or, or Mexico City, you know, um, and yeah, I just think that that's uh, that's what I'm gonna be doing this year, and and I'm you know I'm learning as I go, and I'm definitely looking for 
you know, for opportunities to, to partner up with like organizations to be able to fund the project. You said that it was a four-chapter series, so Awakening, Identity. What are the next two chapters? Um, I don't know. Um, oh. that, that the beauty of this project is that um, when you seek a vision, you know, you you basically surrender to everything, you know. And, um, you know, this, this ceremony that I'm doing, I, I don't want to give away too much, but mm-hmm. um, it's basically me, you know, having a vision quest, you know. Um, and sitting there, you know, for a few days and, and really praying and, you know, and letting myself be, be with that environment around me and, and, and then I'll be able to also transcend into, into my higher self, into the higher selves of nature, you know, the higher selves of, um, of my surroundings, you know, and, and really understanding that I'm not just, I'm not just a human being having spiritual experiences, but that I'm a spirit having this physical experience as a human being. Um, so that really translates to the project, you know, like I'll go through this whole year of working on, on the identity chapter and I don't know what's going to happen. You know, maybe next year I'll, I'll realize that I need to go to South America or I need to go to Mexico or I need to go, you know, do something else that, that, that really emphasizes what that third, the third chapter is because I'll be doing this for four years, like like my, my vision quest, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's kind of that's yeah that's why that's why I think it's you know it's important for me to also understand my my timing because I'm a type of person that is is very much on what we call Indian time, you know which is like you know 1 p.m. to me might mean like 5 p.m. I don't know it's just like I'm just not like a time person like that. And when I say four years, um, you know that's four years of Indian time. <laughs> so I don't know what that <laughs> looks like. Uh, <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So like, I mean, like, yeah, this is, I don't, and I'm not a rusher, you know, I don't want to rush it. I just want to, I really want it to be authentic, and I really want this, because I feel that that's, that sending rock, sending struck, um, you know, for the book and the work there um, really translated that spirit, and I feel like I set a standard for myself, you know, as a storyteller, um, as an activist, you know, I mean, I, I people have asked me, you know, like, hey, are you an activist or are you a photographer? And I'm like, why can't I be both? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, why can I, why can I be sent by the New York Times to go cover something and really shit about it? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's, we're at this point where this new paradigm shift is like, you can't be like that anymore. You can't be like, well, I'm a journalist and I'm just here to watch you die, you know, and get killed. It's like, well, do something to prevent them getting killed or don't just be a, you know, a person who just stands there and gets a photo pass and gets to take their three photos that they give them, you know, of the president and then moves on. Go, go really dig deep into, you know, into the barriers that they're giving you because they're giving you these barriers for a reason because they want you to only see certain things and, and only document certain things and then be happy with your image, right? Uh, and I think that for me, that's, that's where I'm at. It's like this project that is, that is developing and it's, it's continually going, um, it's, you know, it's, it's not just to make pretty images. It's, it's something that I really, really hope that can inspire other people, inspire other photographers, and inspire other, especially indigenous photographers, to, to take action, you know, and to really create work that, that goes beyond the frame. Um, and sorry for cussing. I, I cuss a lot, so that's, that's my bad. But, you know, I'll say this. I'll end it with this, and, and then I'll kind of explain why. Um, yeah, not why I use bad words, but why, like, where this comes from, you know, at least from my understanding, is that that I'm angry, you know. I'm really angry. Mm-hmm. I'm angry at how my ancestors were treated, and I'm angry at how I'm treated right now, and I'm angry at how my relatives that have a certain skin color are going to be treated today and tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And, and there's nothing wrong with being angry. Well, it's truth. It's truth that's drive your, driving your anger, and it is truth that will allow you to confront and heal and save yourself. Once again, this amazingly telling image of those police attacking the demonstrators with with the water cannon, with bone-breaking force. I know that from the civil rights era when, when people were marching. That water pressure can break bones. So that's what they're about. But it always strikes me that in this country, we accept 
what is being done, however horrific it is. We accept that and say, you know, well, that's the way things are. But if you say anything about it, we say you're controversial. The controversial people are the ones who protest it, not the ones who do it. We have been so brainwashed into believing that it's controversial to object to brutality, not controversial to exact brutality. I'm realizing more and more that my anger, it's, it's my passion, too, you know, it's because I'm passionate about my people. You know, I'm passionate about humanity. You know, I'm passionate about all these different things. And I'm in a place in my life where I'm trying to get to a place of healing and reconciliation with the way my ancestors were treated and with the way that I'm treated when I go into a bus or when I go into a train, you know, or when I go into a store and they follow me because I'm brown. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm angry at those things, but I'm also trying my best to reconciliate and heal from those things. But at the time, it's very real to me that I'm going to be, I'm going to speak loud and I'm going to speak with big words sometimes and words that make sense to say sometimes because that's where I'm at, you know, and, and I really hope that one day I don't have to do that anymore. Josue Rivas, thank you so much for being our guest on the show today. Thank you. My thanks to Josue Rivas and to you for joining us here on the Janice Adams Show today. For the podcast, that photo of the water cannon by Josue, and for more information about today's show, visit my website, JanusAdams.com. In cooperation with WJFF Radio Catskill, post-production Jason Dole, this show is a production of Janice Adams, LLC, All Rights Reserved.